hear the whispers from within Balance to restore, ailings to relieve Feel the nature keeping us, nature healing us Flowers, leaves, the rose within Hear the mind calming you, soothing you Love and kindness inside out Let the herbs from middle world heal Welcome wellness, welcome wellness it's Reveal Herbs, Middle World Herbs. Hello and welcome to the Middle World Herbs Natural Wellbeing Series, where we talk about restoring and maintaining your health in safe and natural ways, while incorporating both the physical and the emotional sides of healing. We go live once a week on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and this is a change from our usual Fridays at 4 p.m. However, our schedule is kind of up and down, so next week we are on Friday again. And good news, starting in June for our summer schedule, we are going to add one more live webinar and that's gonna be Wednesdays at 3 p.m. So over the summer, be sure to tune in. We'll be on Wednesday and Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now, tomorrow, May 6th, is a very special day. It is National No Diet Day. And for those who have not heard about No, no Diet Day, it's an annual social media campaign that is really to encourage the rejection of diet culture. So this movement was started by Mary Evans Young in 1992, and it celebrates the importance of body acceptance, diversity, and respect for all body shapes and sizes. In today's episode, we just wanna invite you to join us in challenging diet culture by promoting health relationships with food and of course, body image. So you deserve to live the best life, a full life without that pressure of diet culture. My name is Deanne and I will be your host today. And I am here with our special guest, Dr. Jackie Leone, naturopathic medical doctor, board certified nutritionist and psychology enthusiast. So Dr. Jackie, welcome. Thank you always for joining us on this cool episode. And I hear that this topic is a little bit near and dear to your heart. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with food and how that helps you pursue um, your medical degrees. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think all subjects are great, but when culture, psychology, and biochemistry come together, there's something really special about that. And I think diet culture and working with somebody's biodiversity and specific biochemistry is really, really powerful um, versus just forcing all of us to fit into the same box. I mean, I know just as a, a young girl and young woman, culture kind of shoves it down your throat, you know, be thinner, be sexier, be younger. And, you know, you're constantly being bombarded by these messages. And research has actually shown that um, girls' confidence significantly tanks by about 80% between the ages of eight and 10 years old. Um, their bodies are changing. They're trying to fit in socially. There's a lot of pressure there inherently. Uh, I know I was raised on convenience foods. My mom was in a you know, uh, cooking wasn't her biggest priority. So lots of fast food, canned food, box food, frozen food. Um, and of course you've heard through our digestive talks that I've had a great history of uh, digestive disorders and gastroenteritis and, and, you know, food poisonings and constipation, diarrhea, all that good stuff. And I didn't really make that connection until I was older and I was working in a healing center, um, and I saw people making those changes and I started asking how I can make those changes. And I think once I really learned the connection that you are what you eat in a very literal sense, not just 
the doctor shaming you or culture trying to pressure you to be something you're not. But in a very real biological way, you are what you eat and there's an inherent connection there. Um, I just, I was addicted and I had to, I, that same week um, when I made my first big connection uh, to my diet and just feeling better, that was the week I started investigating, like, uh, what kind of doctor does this? And then I found naturopathic medicine. So um, along with a few other things, the mental, emotional, anxiety, depression piece, but again, you know, that's all interrelated with our gut health. And a lot of times societal pressures as women, you know, anxiety, depression, gut stuff, food relationship, they all kind of, you know, wrap up into each other. Um, and so it was just really important to me to learn how to help women and just people who struggle with self-image to celebrate their body. I mean, we're walking universes with trillions of cells. That's pretty powerful stuff. So, um, you know, I just became very, very passionate about it, clearly. Uh, and here we are today. So thanks for asking. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, man, I grew up on processed food 100%. Um, we went out to dinner four or five nights out of the week, which is crazy. Um, and I crazy. was like, yeah, I was an open obese child, um, very obese. And my parents never did anything about that. They actually... I used to even tell them as an adult, I was like, why did you let me be like that? And then my dad was like, you were so cute. And I was like, yeah, but that's like so unhealthy. My parents are actually still pretty unhealthy. So I think they just knew what, what they knew, you know? And um, to this day, I have a lot of issues with body positivity. Um, diet culture is going to be a fun thing for me to talk about. I've probably been on every diet that's out there. And um, even today, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I got to fix this. And yeah, so I, I live, eat, breathe this. So I think... Um, if other people are dealing with that, just know that I'm there too <laughs> with everyone. So yeah. I, think, I think on some level we've all, you know, it, it's kind of human. It's part of the human boot camp, if you will, of just existing as a human where, you know, men aren't big enough, strong enough, fit enough. Women aren't thin enough, curvy enough, all these things. And I think just, especially American culture, when I was traveling abroad, I realized each country has its unique set of priorities, whether it's skin color, eye color, hair color, body shape, um, strengths, you know, all of those things. And so I think it's just human nature to have this idealized imagery. And if you fall short of that, it's very easy for our ego and our subconscious beliefs to associate, if I don't look this way or act this way, that equals me being unlovable, undesirable, um, and, you know, that's a really, really hard subconscious belief to shake. And I think that the diet culture and diet industry really harps on that, right? They capitalize on people's insecurities and they promise and over, they over promise and under deliver. And then people are left diseased and pain, not getting the results they want. And then it further reinforces, see, I'm a failure and I'm overweight and I'm gross and nobody will love me you know, and which we know logically is not true at all. Like you have the physique of a lot of my overweight and obese patients, you would be their ideal. You're their after picture, but you struggle every day when you look in the mirror, right? So it's all relative. And I think all that relative. it's really important for us. Yeah. To focus on not just the wrapping, but, but the gift inside that we all are, you know? Yeah, totally. And I will say I have seen in the last few years a pretty big shift in media to focus, to make a model like yes. I'm a size eight. And that is now becoming more of a normal size model, which it should be. I mean, there's no reason why not. Mm -hmm. um, and and I've seen like Victoria's Secret on their 
top of their catalogs now has plus size. So, and that like did not exist when we were younger. So I think that there's like no. a big shift and that's awesome. So yeah, it's really good. I'm excited to have. Yeah. So let's dive in. Okay. So first of all, let's just talk about the word diet and the stigma around this word. Okay. The D so, word. um, the D word, the dreaded D word. So I think in our culture and culture, you know, we have such a heavy connotation, at least in my experience, maybe not everyone out there, but by and large, right. When I talk to clients, when I talk to patients, um, within myself, my own community, my friends, family, uh, there's a lot of buzz and negative connotation around the word diet because people associate diet with restriction, right? And then they feel this sense of naturally wanting to rebel against that restriction, um, naturally wanting to not be told what to do or how to be. Uh, and then they start to resent the process and they resent themselves and then they feel like a failure and all of these things start happening when in reality, in my field, in my world, when I have a nutrition client or I have a medical patient, um, the word diet is so neutral to me. It's like the word skin or something or air. It's, it has almost no charge because to me, when I'm curious about diet, it's the diet. When you look up the definition, um, is just, it just means what you eat, right? So what does your diet consist of? It's a very common intake question. Um, not what fad diet do you follow? Um, you know, like fad diets, diet culture is very, very different than just the benign textbook. Hey, what's your diet consist of? Where can we make healthy tweaks? Uh, versus you are an extension of your diet. And if your diet sucks, you suck, which a lot of people connect themselves to. Right. And in this culture, just again, continues to reiterate to them that their body shape is equals to their worthiness or lovability. Uh, when in reality, for me, I want to take that power back as a woman. I know for myself being, um, you know, swallowed up by the diet culture, I have had issues with binging and purging. I've had issues with binge eating under stress. Um, I've had issues with severe calorie restricting and significant weight loss in a very short period of time. Um, I have been 170 down to 130 and everything in between. And so I know for me, I personally want to take power back from that word and I'm not going to give it the power of diet pressure change, be different. And I'm just going to focus on the word diet, meaning what I eat and it can be anything that makes me feel good. And if it's chocolate or donuts that day, that's what it is. And if it's salad and high quality protein and fruits the next day, then that's what that is. And I'm okay with that. So I just wanted, before we got into the questions about diet and using that term diet, um, to really kind of start to plant the seeds to discharge, right? That weird connotation. And for us as women to be empowered with like, our diet can be whatever the heck we want it to be. And it does not define us or our value. So that's my little, <laughs> my little podium stance on the word diet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Love that. Okay. So let's just talk about some of the current popular diets. What's out okay. there right now? So, um, in the nineties and thousands, um, there was a popular diet called the Atkins diet, which was diminishing carbs or lowering carbs significantly. My mom was actually in that diet. She went pretty full on. She was almost in every diet culture. And I can't blame her because the generation that reared her was as like as, as tiny as your waist is as, as beautiful as you are kind of thing. So it was instilled in her. Um, and she went 
full on. She's battled with highly restrictive dieting, underweight, malnutrition, all that stuff. Um, and so, of course, when she was raising my sister and I, uh, it just kind of bled through. So Atkins diet, um, just to get back on track, I have very uh, intimate knowledge of. Um, but the Atkins diet kind of evolved now uh, in the teens and 20s uh, into the keto diet. Um, Atkins was limiting carbs. Keto is, is almost pretty much no carbohydrates. Uh, and the idea was to limit um, our body's you know, carb intake because carbs are instant energy and fat is more long-term energy. So if we just restrict the short-term energy completely, our body has no choice if it wants to function other than to pull that fat from storage and utilize that as energy. Um, and in very short-term stints, four to six weeks, it definitely does its the job. The, the thing that happens is keto and Atkins over time tend to be very high in um, animal products, which have saturated fat and cholesterol um, and can lead to heart disease and heart issues. And you know, I don't think that it is any coincidence that Dr. Atkins himself died um, at almost 260 pounds and had a significant history of heart disease and heart attack. Uh, and, you know, but he was a diehard Atkins, no carbs, right? And I don't even think he realized before his passing uh, the detriments of that kind of dietary, uh, you know, initiative. So I, I'm sure his intentions were good, but unfortunately, you know, sometimes it did more harm than good for people. Keto, very, very similar. Um, keto actually was developed for uh, epileptic patients, believe it or not, because when we can use ketones as energy, not carbohydrates, uh, sometimes that can lower uh, the likelihood of a seizure developing. And what they realized through doing trials on that is the people they gave the ketogenic diet to were losing weight faster than the other group and their, and their seizures were lower. So it started out very medically necessary for a very specific niche group of patients. Uh, and it just kind of, you know, turned on like wildfire. Now everybody, regardless of epilepsy or seizure history or condition, uh, wants to jump on the keto bandwagon. Um, you know, we see high deficiencies of calcium and vitamin D, believe it or not, other nutrients, um, antioxidants, things like that. When we're looking at the ketogenic and Atkins type diet, um, and kind of closely related to that, but, um, Go ahead. before we jump on to the next ones, I did, I did Atkins all throughout college, just like your mom, <laughs> I was really hardcore into it. And Probably was like the skinniest I've been in my life because I do believe when you just get rid of carbs, you kind of like suck in. But intuitively, yeah. like, you know, having chicken smothered in cheese wrapped in bacon every day and calling that healthy, is it? Like, you know, and, and I get, you know, and the whole cholesterol thing, like, yeah. I mean, but that was like, okay, so I can legit eat bacon every day and be the skinniest I've ever been. Sign me up. But as you said, it doesn't lead to all best results in the end. But yeah, I did Atkins for years. No. I never did the keto bandwagon. I don't think I'm going to jump on that one. But um, I did. I mean, I ate the Atkins bars. I did it all. <laughs> it was all really of it. Yeah, my mom loved a small fortune on the Atkins labeled branding food. So I totally understand. Like, I really do. I lived, yeah. I lived, lived it right there with you. Um, and I will say that. We have to all also understand about body composition. So it is possible to uh, look and or um, seem overweight, but be very muscular, 
right? And so your body composition, maybe for BMI charts, you look obese or overweight when in reality, your composition is mainly muscle because you're, you know, a weightlifter. Um, you're actually very, very healthy because your body fat is low. You can also be what has been called in culture and please excuse the term, but skinny fat, which means that you're thin, but your body composition is primarily fat. And so you actually, if BMI looks low, right? Body mass index, because that's just a ratio of your height and weight. So if you're short and like jacked muscularly on a BMI scale, you're obese, right? Which is ridiculous because clearly you're not, you have 5% body fat, right? Um, so it's, it's just not an indicator of health BMI. We need to really throw that out. Yeah. And so in the BMI. <laughs> yeah, screw that, screw that. Not worth it. But in college, when you got thin, I would be super curious, um, because people who do Atkins and keto and, and do, you know, lose weight, sometimes their body composition changes. And although they're losing weight, it's muscle because they're brought their bodies utilizing protein and minerals and things like that from their muscle. And they're breaking that down. Um, but they're maintaining the fat because fat is really high energy. It's almost, it's more than double the, the calories, uh, which are energy of carbs and protein, right? So the body wants to maintain uh, fat. It's the very last thing to go. And so if you're removing carbohydrates, your muscles going to go first, then your fat stores. Um, and so there are ways to do certain diets like uh, keto or something very short term, but you have to really work hard at it and be on it and really track. And it, it's after six weeks. I mean, it's going to cause more harm than good in a lot of ways. So anyhow, I totally relate. And just because we're losing weight and that that's kind of the sick thing right is on these diets we're losing weight but what people don't realize is their health uh is at jeopardy so yeah they're fitting in a certain size right and so they're hearing a, a self-value like i'm worthy now because i'm a size four and i was a size 10 before and this is great but slowly at play underneath the surface they don't realize that they're building plaque in their arteries that their body composition is shifting more to fat and so they're putting themselves at jeopardy um they don't realize that they're really stripping their body of essential nutrients that over time can cause deficiencies and lose hair and you won't wound heal your you know your skin as quickly you'll age faster um all of these things can happen when we restrict an entire macronutrient group like in the ketogenic and atkins diet so, you know, I don't think your experience uh, was, uh, I, I think your experience is really common, but I just want everyone listening to know that just because we're losing weight doesn't mean we're healthier. And that's a very important distinction. That is really important. James wants to know where are we at with MSG and the controversy Ooh. around it? Monosodium, monosodium glutamate. So that is a preservative. Um, it's used to flavor enhance food. Uh, in Asian countries, when I traveled, I spent about three months in Asian countries, um, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, uh, India, and Bali, uh, Philippines, all those places. Um, it's relatively commonplace. Uh, they don't have as much of a charge because they believe it has glut the glutamate, right, is an amino acid, monosodium glutamate, the MSG, and the G part, glutamate. Glutamate is an amino acid that drives the production of GABA, which is a calming neurotransmitter. It helps uh, address anxiety a lot of times, makes us feel good and calm and you know relaxed. Um, but, but in American culture, we see the sodium, we see water retention, we see 
Um, sometimes at interacting with people's medications or adding to uh, certain profiles, like if you are on a keto diet and you're eating tons of cured meats and bacon, like for your example, and then you're throwing MSG on top of that, um, it can be very, very damaging. Uh, <clears throat> that's just so much. You can get hypernatremia, which is too much sodium. Uh, and then your body can actually start shutting down because you don't have enough water. Uh, even if you're drinking water, sometimes you can overdo it. Um, and so MSG, it, depending on where you live, the jury is still out. Uh, I personally recognize when I eat foods with MSG that I do get gut irritation and a little bit of indigestion. So I personally stay away from it. But it's the same thing as dairy or eggs or meat. Like if you can tolerate it and you're genuinely able to tolerate it, like I'm talking no symptoms, not even a little bit of gas or bloating, not even a little bit of GI distress. That means you can usually tolerate the food uh, or substance. And so if that's you, by all means do it. Um, but I feel like there are better ways to enhance flavor in food. Um, that's not really playing with fire that MSG can you know, the negative consequences MSG can sometimes have for people. Good okay, question. Cool. Thanks, and anyone else? Yeah, that's a good one. Anyone else's questions, throw them in the chat. So here's the next question for you, Dr. Jackie. So what exactly could be unhealthy about restrictive eating from a psychological and physical standpoint? Um, well, restricted eating, and I'm going to get back to the diets because we got on the tangent with keto and Atkins, but really quickly okay. before I answer that, we have yeah. paleo diet paleolithic man eating like we did 10,000 years ago. The problem with that is, is we've evolved since then um, in terms of farming, shelter, diet, and um, digestive enzymes. And all of those things have changed in 10,000 years. And so some people it works, some people it doesn't. But paleolithic is um, a little bit looser than something like a keto or Atkins. So you can still have carbohydrates, but it's coming from vegetables and fruits. Um, then we have the whole vegan versus plant-based vegan is literally no animal products and no animal byproducts meaning if it comes from an animal eggs milk honey even leather any of that you are it's animal activist you're supporting the environment and animals and protecting them um and so it has it's very highly restrictive when it comes to animal products and byproducts but for good reason in terms of their philosophy um, now, plant-based is kind of similar to vegan. The focus is plants, fruits, vegetables, seeds, nuts, legumes, um, but they're not as strict. So if there's eggs in a baked good, or if they feel like scrambled eggs one morning, or if they want to shave some Parmesan on, on the dish to, you know, kind of highlight the taste or something, um, a little bit here and there is okay uh, for plant-based, but they are, I would say about 80% focused on plants. And if honey or eggs or dairy happen to be present, um, you know, it's not going to make or break their dietary plan. So that's plant-based versus vegan. Um, I'm trying to go through these fast because there's a ton of fat diets, everyone. Ah. Oh. <laughs> so many. Uh, and then we have three types of vegetarian. We have ovo vegetarian where it's primarily plants, but you still eat eggs. Ovo means eggs. Um, you have lacto vegetarians, which are vegetarians that don't eat eggs, but do have dairy. And then you have the hybrid ovo lacto. So they eat pizza and eggs and all those things um, because, you know, both dairy products and eggs are acceptable in their diet. Um, so that is, those are kind of roughly the vegetarian. Now we have pescatarian, which is like vegetarian, but seafood's okay. And then my favorite, I consider myself this, is flexitarian. 
So a flexitarian prioritizes vegetables, fruits, whole grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, all the good plant-based stuff. Um, and we get most of our protein from plant-based sources rather than animal products, but we kind of stay flexible, right? So when I was traveling abroad and I was in Italy, I had prosciutto. It's Italy, right? I had pizza. It's Italy. Coming back to America, understanding the meat and dairy industry, I did not. Um, and so, you know, your aim is basically to eat minimally processed foods, low sugar, um, no added sweeteners if possible, uh, unless they're in their natural form like honey or maple syrup. But the byproducts of animals like honey or eggs once in a while, um, or pescatarian like fish once in a while, those things are okay for flexitarian. But again, the focus is on plants, really getting uh, our nutrition from plants. And then the last really common and really popular diet right now is the Mediterranean diet. And the Mediterranean diet has been highly studied because we're kind of fascinated with how do you eat meat, olives, cheeses, oils, <laughs> drink red wine every day and Greece and Italy and countries bordering the Mediterranean still have a healthier population um, than us in America, generally speaking, in terms of lower rates of heart disease, heart attack, obesity, and all these things. Um, and so the Mediterranean diet is essentially no processed foods, um, no frozen foods if you can help it, no refined carbohydrates, no hard liquor or alcohol outside of red wine or wine in general. Um, but it's basically just eating the foods that are local to the Mediterranean, right? So what grows there? We have really fresh cold water fish. Um, like I said before, olives, olive oil, um, you know, their level of how they treat dairy cows and chickens and all of those things is slightly higher than the rest of the world or in other parts of the world. Um, so they just have a higher quality by nature where we have to go to Whole Foods and say, I want step five, the cleanest of the clean, $80 for four ounces of something where there we, you know, you don't have your way. Everything is naturally a step five. And if you go to Whole Foods, you know what I mean? But you know, step one is, um, kind of clean two, three, four and five all the way up is like, it's grass fed. It's natural. It's local. It's outdoors. It can graze. It can, right. So all of these things, which we have to work to jump through hoops and get all these labels through the FDA here in America, but it's just such a normal, just way of life in Mediterranean countries. And so higher quality means lower risk of heart disease and obesity and stuff. So the Mediterranean diet is definitely something that works for a ton of people. Um, and so those are really right now, if, you know, I know it was a lot of info, but those are like the fad diets or maybe not fad diets, but maybe lifestyle diets, um, depending on who you ask. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then of course you have those programs, Slim Fast, Weight Watchers, that's a whole nother thing. Um, but it's yeah. essentially allowing you to eat highly processed foods on a point system or on a prepackaged food system, which you're just not getting nutrients. You might lose weight, but as soon as you go off of their prepackaged system, you're gonna gain it back. Um, and so these are kind of the diets that are outside of a specific brand or system, right? They're just a way of eating. So um, anyhow, those are the diets. But the thing that's really unhealthy about the diets is just the pressure that's on us psychologically and physically. When you restrict anything or you create such a narrow way of existing for yourself, A, it's not sustainable. So you're probably going to fail and then you're going to beat yourself up for failing. Um, or you're going to rebel big time, 
restrict heavily for a month and then eat like five pizzas and 12 donuts, right? And then feel crappy after that. Um, but it can cause a lot of nutritional deficiencies, health problems, um, you know, labeling yourself as good or bad based on the foods that you eat. It just leads to worsening eating disorders and relationships with food and self-acceptance and all of these things. So there are a lot of physical and psychological uh, negative implications of severe, you know, restrictive dieting or just diet culture in general. And so we want to be very, very aware of these things and not just, you know, to me personally, I think that our social media and our electronic diet is more important for our psychology um, sometimes than our physical diet, because what we consume uh, on social media, who we follow, who we look at, um, that can really trigger and or reinforce the psychologically damaging uh, false information that's being you know, circulated out there regarding diet and everything. So I think we need to really be very aware, not just of what we're eating in our physical food diet, but also our social media, emotional and energetic diet and what we're taking in because those two are so important and they can either build us up and help us feel better, or they can be very damaging and cause depression, anxiety, eating disorders, malnutrition, and so many other things. Yeah, totally. I mean, I just saw with that Met Gala, I don't know, my Facebook feed like filled up with everyone's images in their dresses. And it said that oh. Kim Kardashian lost 16 pounds to wear Marilyn Monroe's dress. And I'm like, she didn't even have 16 pounds to lose. Like she's, I mean, maybe in her booty. But um, anyways, regardless, it just seems so unhealthy of what she is. And you know what she had waiting following. for her? Did you read like what, what was waiting for her? When they were done at the Met Gala, no. did you read what what no, no. she had no. pre-ordered? She had pre-ordered before the Met Gala a dozen pizzas and boxes of donuts and ice cream to be waiting for her when she was done because she had restricted so severely for four to five weeks prior to the Met Gala in order to lose the weight. I mean, sixteen pounds on someone who doesn't have sixteen pounds to lose, you have to be you would know you have to be so you're basically drinking water and maybe like yeah. producing some kale. Eventually, it doesn't. Even <laughs> so there's social media for sure. And Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. I mean, little girls, little girls and teens who look up to the Kardashians, you know, are looking at that and saying, "That's okay. I can do that." Yeah. Right? We're these icons who are like, exactly. And if she can do it in four weeks, I can do it in four weeks. And if she can binge after, I can binge after. And by watching these people who are in the, you know, the light of the world, you know, they're highlighted in terms of being famous or popular or whatever. I don't think that they realize the power that they wield uh, in terms of their impact on people, especially children and teens who are very, very impressionable. And when they have mentors that they're looking up to, they're going, they're not necessarily going to listen to the words as much as pay attention to the behavior and the modeling. And so when we have uh, groups of women like the Kardashians and other famous women, um, you know, crash dieting and talking about restriction and how good it feels to not eat or to lose weight and how they can't wait to binge. Um, it just messes with your head when you're young and developing. And it, it, it's very confusing, you know, like as a, as a physician and an adult, I know that it's bullshit, but to a 12 year old looking up to the Kardashians, um, you know, that's gonna, that could cause some damage 
you know? And I know that they don't mean to. I don't think that anything's intentional. They're just doing their own thing, living their own life. But we have to remember, you know, and help support women and girls and children and teens to kind of critically think, what do you, what do you think about that restriction? What do you think about that binge afterward? Do you think that that would be worth it? You know, and really actively engage with girls about body image and who they look up to and give them the skills to critically analyze these behaviors and recognize what is sustainable for them and what is not, right? What is outside of the realm of reality for their lives. Um, because I think they just want to be so much like someone else, right? Uh, that to really own their own power and their own value is so important. And I think that that comes with critical thinking. It's like, look, follow the Kardashians, watch them if you want to, but just don't believe what you're seeing, please. And don't live or try to emulate them because that's not reality, right? In most cases. So I'm glad you brought that up. Super yeah. important point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of that question of just like, how is restrictive eating can be unhealthy? So from like a physical stand standpoint, I mean, I'm sure you could go into some of it, like you could pass out, you can get really sick. You could end up in a hospital if you restrict too much, even yep. if it's in four weeks. So what, what kind of damage can you do physically and psychologically? Well, for somebody um, like that example, not just her, but anyone who's going to crash diet for four to six weeks, um, you know, 12 weeks even, and then turn around and go right back to their same lifestyle, which most people on crash diets do, right? They're not changing their relationship to food. They're trying to achieve a certain size and that for an event, an issue, a chapter of their life, a marriage, a wedding, a prom, you know, reunion, whatever. And then they usually, because they're not working at the root cause, which is our relationship to food, they're working on the external vanity part of how do I look and how will people perceive me? Um, they tend to go right back to old habits, right? So they go back to the same foods, back to the same habits, and guess what happens? They gain the weight back, and most of the time they gain it back plus about 20% on average. So what is what are those fluctuations doing? Well, our blood pressure, we went from sustaining a 130 pound person to 150 or 60 pound person. That's a lot of extra capillary growth, blood, arteries, all these things that had to develop to sustain that extra tissue. Then you're losing that tissue and now I don't have to support it. And then you're gaining it back and now I do have to support it. So blood pressure fluctuations, heart rate changes, kidney filtration rate, right? Because you know, when blood pressure is affected, kidneys are affected. Um, sugar and blood lipids and diabetes and cholesterol, like all of these things are just physically, our biochemistry is negatively affected on the inside, but we can't look on the inside. And so we don't know the long-term damage we're doing to ourselves by yo-yo dieting, fad dieting, not really working on our relationship with food and ourselves and instead trying to fit into a box of approval. I'm good enough. I'm pretty enough. Look at me. Look what I did kind of thing versus I feel great. I have energy. I don't care about my size because I'm capable. I'm powerful. I'm strong. Um, you know, I'm sleeping well. I have great bowel movements. People don't recognize indicators of health. And we think that image is an indicator of health and it is not, not even close. Um, and so I think that those are some of the real biochemical and physical dangers associated to being weight obsessed, diet obsessed culture. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit. Oh, wait, we got a question. 
Jim said, have you seen the new diet company claiming to be psychology based called Noom? Any opinions on their approach? You heard of Noom? You know, when I'm scrolling, I don't, I'm not really big into social media, but I have scrolled obviously. Uh, and I do post about my Amazon lives uh, to share with people. So I do catch things about Noom here and there, but to be honest with you, I can't speak on its efficacy because I'm not familiar with the methodology. So I don't know, um, like what, it, what it's trying to do, but if it's positive reinforcement, if it is positively motivating is if it is, you know, reflective based, if it is psychology based, AKA, Hey, let's ask ourselves this question. What are 10 things we love about our body today? Right? What are three healthy things we can put in our body today, which is what I do when I work with clients and patients. And I'm focusing on the psychology uh, angle is really working from that place. Um, if it's all of those things, I personally feel like those are very effective, way more effective, but again, I'm just not sure and familiar, but I'll check it out and let you guys know. Cause yeah, I've, I've definitely seen oh. it scrolling, uh, but I haven't investigated. Yeah. Good question though. Thank you. They advertise heavily. I've heard of it, but I've never looked into it either. So I can't speak to it, but okay. Let's talk about intuitive eating and the intuitive movement. So is that better or, or what, what do you think about that? Um, I personally, as a flex, that's why I have defined myself as flexitarian, I guess, um, because it is intuitive eating, right? And for me, intuitively, when I go back to old habits of eating fast food, like I was raised, uh, or frozen food, maybe it's an emotional comfort thing, it reminds me, you know, of this certain time in my life, um, I feel like crap, right? And so intuitively, my body's like, I don't want that stuff. That's psychological stress driving your food choices, not your biological need, right? Um, and so intuitive eating is really connecting with your body after you eat, when you eat, and, and sensing what makes you feel good and energized and replenished versus do you get tired? Do you get sluggish, bloated, full, crampy? Um, do you feel like kind of taking a nap or do you feel like you could take on the world? Um, and so intuitive eating is just listening to your body's cues, right? And following certain cravings. Um, if you're craving a big salad that day, or you just are really wanting a lot of fish and pasta, maybe you need protein and carbs and that's what your body needs. And there's no guilt around that. Uh, now there is a difference between intuitive eating, eating what our body's wanting, uh, craving and drawn to, and what makes us feel good versus crave eating or stress eating. Right. So a lot of people are like, well, what's the difference between intuition and craving? And the difference is intuition builds health and crave eating builds disease. So crave eating is like, oh, well, my body said I wanted six donuts, <laughs> you know, um, and trying to kind of mask it under the guise of intuitive eating. But intuitive eating is requires a lot of mindful connection to our body, which a lot of us lack because we're just go, 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 go right on to the next thing, on to the next thing. So very rarely we stop and breathe and ask our bodies, how you doing? What do you want? How you feeling? You want water? Okay, done. You need a snack? What do you, what kind of snack? Um, same with movement, you know, what do you feel like doing? Because you can have it on a schedule, meal plan, going to the gym, upper body, lower body, all these things and forcing ourselves to follow a regimen that feels controlled, which works for some people. And that's great. But if you're more fluid and organic and you want to remove the pressure and the you know, how stringent those types of plans are, intuitive eating and intuitive movement is all about checking in. What do you want to eat? How do you want to move? You want to dance today? 
just for five minutes. Cool. You, you got a lot of energy. You want to go for a two hour walk? Let's do this. You know, like connecting to and understanding the messages that the body and biochemistry are always trying to communicate to us. That is the intuitive eating and intuitive exercise movement is giving ourselves our power back, giving ourselves permission to eat what feels, how it feels natural for us. And what we're noticing with intuitive eating, for those of you who don't know, our bodies genetically have what are called a set point. Um, and that's where our body's most comfortable in terms of weight. We're not restricting, we're not overeating. Um, but when we're eating intuitively what our body wants and we're moving intuitively when our body wants and for the length and rigor that our body is, is craving that day, um, what we end up seeing is people finding their natural set point faster or AKA where their body functions the best from in terms of like their weight, their size, their composition, right? And that's really ideal. So maybe your set point's 180, who the heck cares? Maybe it's 140, who the heck cares? If you feel good, you're eating intuitively, you're moving intuitively, you're connecting to your body and creating a mindful relationship with food and movement, your set point is where your body's most comfortable. And that's really um, an important aspect of intuitive eating and just letting your body do what it needs to do for itself and honoring that and not trying to force it to do anything. You know, that's, that's really, um, as far as I understand uh, and connect to the intuitive eating movement, which, which I try to um, support as much as possible in my own life or emulate my own life. It's not always easy. You know, sometimes I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to kill it on weight machines. I'm going to get strong. And I might go once or twice and then I'm like, why did I think this was my thing? I want to dance and do yoga. So, you know, really just honoring what the body wants, not what I think I should have to do to look or act a certain way. Yes, totally. So what do you tell people that struggle to honor their body? Like they just can't accept their body shape or size. That's a good one. Um, it's a lot of motivational interviewing. If you want to look it up, feel free uh, for those of you listening. But essentially, motivational interviewing is open-ended questions that allow the person to explore uh, some things maybe they've never explored before. So instead of me sitting there and, do you love your body? No. And how long have you not loved your body? 10 years? Like these yes or no or factual questions. I'm just, what's the hardest part? of yourself that you struggle to accept. And it's a very open-ended general question, but it allows the patient or client to really illustrate everything and kind of pull it up and out. And once we know what the biggest barriers are, which are usually psychological, uh, believing false beliefs of, you know, we're invalid, we're unlovable, we're disgusting, we're failures, all these things that are implanted really early on. Um, once we unearth, uh, you know, the biggest issues, then we can start to take the power away from them because that belief of I'm only lovable when I'm a size four, let's say, or I'm a certain weight or size, um, it's coming from a very wounded place. So we have to address the wound. When did that happen? Did somebody call you fat when you were four and you internalized it? Did your parents or your mother put a high level on your appearance? And so now you hear her voice. Is that really who you are by nature or was that your negative nurture? And it's nobody's fault because parents do the best they can with what they have at the time. Um, but that doesn't mean that damage wasn't done. Right. And so we have to usually find that original issue or thing or barrier or problem 
um, and just show it gentle compassion. And it, it's a process. It's a real process. It is acknowledging and rewiring. Sometimes I refer out to psychologists when it's really heavy lifting or they have eating disorder, you know, either an eating disorder or disorder eating, which they're not the same. Um, but really focusing on addressing the root issue is one side of the coin. The second side of the coin is giving them and empowering them with information that maybe changes their perception. Did you know that you have trillions of cells all specialized to do very cool different things in your body? And you're just walking around all day long, not even thinking about your heart or your lungs, or your brain, and they just know what to do. You're like a walking universe, regardless of your weight. That is freaking magical, people. <laughs> do you know the lottery win that had to take place in order for you at the cellular level to develop the way you did as an embryo and into a fetus and then to be born and then to survive to this moment in place and time in your life, all of the things that could have gone wrong, but didn't, and you're existing right now. And most of your existence is on autopilot because your body has this internal vitality and just knows what to do. I think once we can get people excited about that aspect of them, um, you know, they start to really trust themselves more and believe in themselves more, you know, and I'll ask what's a time your body really showed up for you and women. It's like, Oh, childbirth, big one, right? My body's a badass for doing that. Some people it's physical strength or when I was an athlete and I really accomplished this, or I won this award. Um, some people it's like, man, I had chronic illness for 10 years and I healed myself and I did that. Right. So we need to connect to when we've had successes with our body, when our body has really shown up for us and celebrate the walking universe that we are, those things at the same time as addressing the root cause and rewiring, reframing, one of the most powerful approaches we can take to self-acceptance um, and, and stop shaming our own body. You know, that's, those are really important keys. Yes, yeah, so important. Danny, Danny just shared something really, really personal and vulnerable in our chat. And I just want to like commend you, Danny, for that. And she just, and I'm, I'm assuming she, it could be he, says, this is make, uh, let's see, super serious. It's making me emotional because her hubby is so fat. She has to push him through the hallway and said, don't laugh. It's actually embarrassing. And I don't know why I'm sharing, but I think that that's kind of what you're talking about. It's just you know, getting to the root of everything. And, and it's okay to be emotional about that. Of course, when it's emotional, that means you care. When you become emotional, everyone, we are built with emotions. It's a superpower as a human. We try to repress and control them so much versus leaning into them and listening to them. Our emotions are constantly trying to communicate internal needs to us. So if you are sensitive to the topic or you're having an emotional response, chances are your subconscious, your emotional body knows that it's the truth or knows how important this is and you actually care. And that's why you are experiencing emotions. You know, when I was reading, you know, some of these questions and connecting to the diet culture stuff, you know, I was tearing up for teenage me and college me and the freshman 15 and don't gain weight. And I totally feel you. It's because we care. It's because it's important and it it's because it means something. So please honor every feeling you're experiencing and, and you totally have permission to be present. Yeah. That's great. I mean, they're celebrating being a person. Welcome to humanity. Yeah. <laughs>
fact that you're listening to this webinar, everyone just means you're taking a step in the right direction. And, and if it's not for yourself, if it's for a family member and, and it could be life or death for them, I mean, it's so important that you're getting this knowledge to hopefully yeah. be able to share. So totally. Well, before we dive in more, let's just have everyone hit the follow button. If you haven't followed all work ready, that really helps support us. And, you know, since we're talking about you know, health in all shapes and sizes, we want to also share some tools and trips, um, tools and trips, trips, what am I trying to say? Tips. I can't speak. <laughs> I kept reading that word backwards. <laughs> tools and tips on just how to feel your best. So no matter what your size is, no matter what your age is, no matter if you had like a late night snack last night, um, you can still have a healthy body. So a big part mm -hmm. of our overall health is in our digestive tract, and that's healthy gut flora, healthy digestion, and healthy metabolism. So I want to share with you some really amazing digestive supplements that I have in front of me. These are all by Mill World Herbs, and they can help protect your body, and even they, they have, you know, just to help you, like how you process food in your body. So we have, we have our digestive enzymes, we have our prebiotics and probiotics, and then we also have our liver detox. So let's just start with the prebiotics and probiotics. And Dr. Jackie, can you tell us a little more about the relationship between gut health and weight management? Yes, of course. So when we think of our GI tract, which is our gut, right? That's what we know as our gut. I want everyone to kind of imagine just a long tube from this opening to the other opening and all it does is bend and twist and kink in different ways at different levels. But it's really essentially one long tube that takes food in, absorbs it through the walls of the tube to put it into our blood system. And then we excrete the stuff that doesn't serve us anymore, um, you know, in bowel movements. So that's constantly happening, right? And that's why we are what we eat, because what we eat is directly what gives us energy, nutrients to build new tissue, to break down old tissue, to fight disease. So if our gut is inflamed or kind of like, I call it the internal sunburn, uh, just to get, you know, it's red, it's irritated, it's ouchy, um, really highly sensitive, for example, we're not going to absorb. We're not going to digest properly. We're not going to break things down. Uh, so we feel like we're eating, but we're not really getting nutrition because we're not absorbing anything. So what happens is we tend to overeat because our body's like, where are my micronutrients? Where is the, I need this to exist in my body so I can make stuff and do stuff and all the stuff I need. Like, so it tells us to keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. When in reality, if we're, we were just to heal the gut and the integrity of the gut and make it more efficient at absorption, we would get um, more accurate hunger cues. I'm full, um, you know, I, I don't need any more. My body's doing what it needs to do. It's getting all the sufficient nutrients it needs. It's good to go. And so if your gut is damaged or you're having issues with your gut, it inherently relates to weight management because it can send false, you know, like I said, uh, signals to increase your appetite. A great example is somebody who has diabetes and doesn't know. So we're eating a ton of sugar, but the sugar staying in the bloodstream because we're not making insulin. And remember, insulin is the thing that pulls sugar into the cell to give the cell energy. So if we just have a lot of sugar in the blood, but the cell is starving because there's no doorman to let the sugar in, what's going to happen? Our body's going to be like, we are starving. 
eat more sugar, please. Like the cell is dying. You need sugar now. And so we eat meat, 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 more and more sugar, sugar, sugar. And our blood sugars can get five, six, 700 on a normal fasting glucose is under a hundred. Um, and when we eat, it's between one and two. So to have five, 600 blood sugar and your cells and organs literally failing because they don't get energy, right? That's diabetes. Um, that's very possible for long-term gut degradation and overeating sugar. So that's just an example of that feedback loop where we're eating and eating and eating, but our body thinks we're starving. Our body thinks we're deficient because we're not absorbing. We're not accurately utilizing. We're not making the right hormones and enzymes to break these things down. So there is an inherent connection between our gut and our weight for sure. Uh, and then for microbiome, I mean, that's huge. Microbiome guys are the probiotics in our gut. They're the little bacteria that break food down and make B12 for energy and vitamin K for bone and other cool stuff. Um, they help make serotonin, which stabilizes our mood, stabilizes our, our appetite actually helps us get restful sleep because serotonin turns into melatonin. Uh, it produces immune cells. And so if we're not fighting off inflammation and infection, we're probably going to be inflamed, retain water and be a little squishy in the middle, which again is not a problem inherently, but if it's because of a disease process, we want to nip that in the bud. So yeah, they're very inherently linked. Yes. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the prebiotic and probiotic formula that we yes. have here. So this one is Pro, 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 for pro technology. And what's pre unique about that is that, what is it? Pre, pro, pro, see, I forget it. <laughs> I just need you to chime in for the hard words. Although I couldn't say the word tips. So you know what? Sometimes you just can't talk. Um, so this one has friendly phages and they're going to work your way through your digestive system. So they're crowding out the bad bacteria and then making space for that good bacteria to grow. So you can think of phases, phages like the chaperones that are accompanying and protecting the probiotics on their way to the final destination, which is the gut. And this technology is really allowing the good bacteria to work more effectively in your digestive system and not die by the millions way before they actually reach the gut. So very few supplements on the market currently can do that. So a lot of times you might think, okay, I'm going to get the highest CFUs possible because if it's more billions, then that's going to be more probiotics in my gut. But what happens is a lot of them actually die on the way to your gut. So even though this is 4.4 billion and you may have seen ones that have like 10 billion, that doesn't mean this is less effective. In fact, this one's probably more effective because these ones actually make it to the gut. So probiotics that we have here, these are made in the USA, GMP certified, tested by third-party labs. You're going to get 60 veggie capsules per bottle. It's $22.99, but during our lives, we give you an additional 20% off. So you're getting a really high quality probiotic and prebiotic supplement for 20% off. You just have to click that banner and then that discount will automatically happen for you. So I think it's time to do a round of true or false. So all you have to do if you're watching with us is just type in the chat, true or false, and then we will get the correct answers from Dr. Jackie. So our first question is, our gut can help us lose weight. True or false? Our gut can help us with weight loss. Uh, I'm going to say true. I'm going true on that one. Healthy gut? You would be right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So our gut can 
definitely keep us from losing weight. Like if we, if we don't have, um, perfect example, fiber feeds probiotics. Fiber is what's called a prebiotic pre meaning before. So it's what probiotics eat. Fiber also binds to toxins, excess cholesterol, hormone breakdown. It binds to all of the crap in the colon that's considered toxic or metabolites and helps carry it out. So if our gut is not healthy and we're not eating fiber to clear and bind to all that stuff, we're going to be toxic, bloated, gain weight. It's difficult to lose weight. Um, all of these things are going to happen because also constipation is a thing. If we're not removing toxins every 24 hours from the body in the form of a bowel movement, um, chances are the toxins are resorbing in the colon and that's going to add to gas bloating, all the GI issues, weight gain. It's going to ruin the probiotic balance in the gut. All of those things are going to happen and that's going to negatively impact our relationship with our ability to lose weight or maintain a healthy weight. If weight loss isn't the goal, but a healthy weight, like your set point is your goal. Yeah, you can definitely have trouble reaching that set point if the gut is out of whack. All right. Question number two, our gut responds to processed foods the same way it does any pathogen. True or false? A good one. I know that is a good one. Ooh. Um, true. <laughs> For sure. So um, I want to say like true-ish. And the only reason why is because um, food sensitivities in a pathogen, let's say bacteria or virus, both stimulate the immune system. Okay. So in that sense, yes, our body is having kind of a similar reaction. But if you get, if you look a little bit deeper into the mechanism, it's different antibodies. A pathogen is an IgM mediated. It's a, it's kind of a different branch of the immune system um, versus IgG mediated or IgE mediated antibodies. IgE is like, you need an EpiPen or you're going to the ER, that kind of severe food allergy versus IgG is food intolerance, right? Every time I eat cauliflower, I get bloated and gassy, or, you know, I get a skin rash every time I eat eggs. And so it's a yes kind of answer um, because the immune system is being stimulated, but the process and the antibodies being released are unique and different and slightly different paths of the same system. So mainly yes, mostly yes, let's say. Mostly true. Okay, cool. Yeah. Number three, challenged gut health can cause chronic fatigue or anxiety, true or false. So challenged gut health. I'm going to go try one. Of course, yeah. So like I said before, when our gut isn't absorbing nutrition, um, then we're not going to have the ingredients we need to make neurotransmitters for us to function in our, our mental health. It's not going to give us energy, um, you know, to do things. And so we're more tired. Uh, we don't have the, the best neurotransmitters. So we're anxious all the time or depressed all the time. Um, so our gut health is directly related to our mental health and our energy levels for sure. Not to mention that gut microbes, like the probiotics you were talking about, um, like I was saying, help produce serotonin. Serotonin is kind of, I feel like a blanket on a rainy day with a cup of tea. Like you're calm, you're comfortable, your mood stable, you're happy, you're chill. Um, you feel good. Right. And so if you don't have healthy probiotics in your gut, 
chances are you're not making that. Chances are you feel like you're going crazy and you don't know why. And it's just because our body is deficient in probiotics, which help with serotonin, um, amino acids, which come from proteins, healthy proteins. And those are what make hormones, neurotransmitters, how our brain and our mood stabilization um, and our, you know, all of those things are being affected when the gut's not working properly. So they're inherently linked for sure. Gosh, gut health is so important. I feel like it's we we talk about it a lot, but like you just you know, if someone goes, I have a lot of anxiety. No one's like, how's your gut? You know, no one talk, no one links that usually. That's the first thing I ask. <laughs> yeah, you of course would. Like now we all need to dealing with anxiety. What are you eating? You know, what what's going into your body? So, like, what are you dealing with? What's life? It's what are you eating? Um, okay, number four. Is it possible? all the right foods, but still be deficient in certain nutrients, true or false. So you're eating everything correctly. I'm going to say if you ate everything correctly, I don't know that you would be deficient. Maybe if your body just couldn't um, process it properly. So true-ish, false-ish. <laughs> um, I, I would say true-ish. Um, it, is, it is possible to get uh, all of your RDAs or recommended daily allowance of nutrients um, by eating healthy. Uh, but that's speculation because when you put into MyFitnessPal or Chronometer or something like that, if you're tracking nutrition, I had one medium apple. They're estimating the nutrition profile of that apple. If you compare a conventional apple grown in soil and traditional um, farming industries that lack nitrogen. Nitrogen is down by 40 something percent, phosphorus down by 20, 30%, sulfur down by 30%. All of these micro minerals necessary for plants to go through photosynthesis produce enzymes that we need, antioxidants that we need, protein synthesis that we need. Um, the plants aren't getting those nutrients from the soil and then we're eating that plant that's deficient, right? So we can guess what we're getting in a day based on food trackers and what the internet tells us. Um, but unless we're actually able to take a core sample and do a full nutrition profile on every single food we put in our body, we really don't know for sure if we're reaching those RDAs eating clean. We really don't know what we're getting in an average day. Everything is kind of a rough estimate here. So, and, and then this brings me back to what we've touched on before about eating organic or as organic as possible as you know your budget and everything allows and your resources allow because organic farms focus more heavily on making sure the nutrient content of the soil is robust enough to support their plant growth and so there's an advantage there um, it's not a perfect science uh, or black and white by any means because some conventional farms can probably have okay soil and some organic farms could struggle to get uh, nutritious soil, depending on where they're located, uh, you know, uh, what they grow, if it's a monocrop, meaning one crop, the same crop every year, let's say that plant needs nitrogen more than any other nutrient, it's going to leach nitrogen. But when you rotate crops every year, and maybe you do a plant that takes the nitrogen, and then next year, the plant that takes phosphorus, but adds nitrogen, right? And then the next year it takes sulfur, but it adds phosphorus. So when you rotate like that, um, even in the conventional world, you can get higher nutrient dense foods, but it's just exhausting to try, to be honest with you, to eat the right way and reach all of your nutrients, right? It, it's a struggle and it's enough to make a person go insane, to be quite honest. So um, the answer is you kind of sort of can eat the right foods um, and not be deficient. 
but it's just very hard uh, and requires a lot of effort uh, or expense, right? You're going to pay with two of the three resources, time, energy, or money. You're going to spend a lot of time mm -hmm. doing research, <laughs> driving yourself crazy, energy, meal prepping, planning, calculating, or money on organic or pre-calculated, you know, um, high, higher level, higher quality foods. So, you know, pick your two and whatever you have available to you, um, you know, that's what's going to drive being able to eat right, whatever that means. But that's why supplements exist, you know, and herbs, which are incredible. So I kind of think it's true a little bit. I love it. Okay, let's do number four. And this is the beat test is one of the ways to test your gut health, true or false. And I had not heard about the beat test until today. So um, I'm assuming that means you eat beets and you see what your bowel movement color is. Is that what the beat test is? Okay. Mm -hmm. So test your gut health. I'm going to go true. So... I will say it's mostly false. I'm going to be honest. So the beet test, everybody knows, just like when you eat asparagus and your urine smells funny six to 12 hours later, when you eat beets, it comes out in your stool and can look like blood. Um, it's very red. It's very highlighted and pronounced. It's very unmistakable. So a sign of gut health is what, what's called bowel transit time, the time it takes food to become feces. And in most cases, we want it to be as close to 24 hours as possible. Um, 48 hours, you're considered constipated. Um, anything less might be diarrhea or too fast of a transit time. So what the beat test does is basically just measure that one single factor of gut health. It's not gonna tell you what you're absorbing. It's not gonna tell you your probiotic profile. It's not gonna tell you methane sulfide gas production, your LPS synthesis, which are all measures of gut health. Um, and so they're not going to measure micronutrients in the, in the blood system to know if you're absorbing th those nutrients from your food. So to me, medically speaking, this is mainly false because it only looks at bowel transit time alone. It does not holistically. Um, it's not one of the ways to test gut health. It's one of the ways to test gut transit time. How fast does food go through you or how slow? So for that, I highly recommend it. It's a great anecdotal test to do at home to see where you're at. But if you really want to look under the hood and do some heavy lifting with how your bowel systems are working, then you definitely want to do a stool analysis. Um, I think that's your next question. Sorry. <laughs> oh, but gut health stool analysis. What's that? Yeah, tell us a little more about. I said, tell us a little more about stool analysis and other ways to test the gut health. Oh, okay. So. Stool analysis is the, to me, it's, it's just the most accurate measure because it's objective. Um, sometimes when it comes to gut health, subjectivity of like, well, how do you feel? And your bloating is on a scale of one to 10 and your gas on a scale of one to 10. That's all very experiential, right? So maybe I have a higher tolerance for pain. And so I'm like, oh, it's only a four out of 10, but what's really happening biologically is worse, but I'm minimizing or, you know, whatever. So to know for sure what's actually happening, what we have to do is a stool analysis um, in, in the medical world, at least. And when we look at a stool analysis, you essentially have a bowel movement um, in, a, in a test kit, and then you take the sample and put it in a little tube, shake it up in a solution. You do that for three days, because if we did it one day, that's not going to tell us a good average. So we want three days to know what are some themes we're seeing here and control for outliers, you know? 
Um, but once you send the sample in, they measure all of these different things like protein, fat, um, vegetation, blood, uh, you know, microbes, yeast, bacteria, viruses, um, the gas production stuff, like I mentioned before, the LPS synthesis, uh, pro I think I mentioned protein already, but all of these different factors in your gut health. And it tells you your good microbes are deficient, normal, too high, your bad microbes, deficient, normal, too high. So it is going to give you a very detailed look as to your gut health and how well you are breaking things down, absorbing them. Are you inflamed? Are you making mucus? Is there blood present? Could you have an ulcer not know it? All that stuff is measured in significant detail when you do a stool analysis. The only problem is a stool analysis, unless you have major gastrointestinal issues, isn't usually covered by insurance. So a lot of people don't know that it exists or um, if they do, they shy away from it because of its price tag. It can be anywhere from one to $300 depending on the lab. But to me, the information that that garners um, for my life and my well-being and my biological state, I can't really put a price tag on it. And so it's well worth it, but you know, to each their own. But if you do want to know for yourself, stool analysis is definitely the gold standard for understanding your gut health. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. I've never done one, but, um, I remember when my daughter was a baby, she was kind of having a lot of acid reflux and they did request a little stool sample and getting people from their diaper, but, um, everything checked out. Okay. But you know, as babies, we, they good. check for that stuff instantly. But then I guess when you get older, you have to like demand it and then pay a lot of money for it. So, but yeah, it seems like something we all should just, you know, should we get every, decade or something like that or more if you need it but oh yeah i especially if you have chronic issues with gi you know if you're you know people who walk into my office i've been constipated 10 years that's just normal um i've had crohn's i've ulcerative colitis i have ibd i have ibs i you know um get food poisoning all the time i have gastroenteritis all the time you know 90% of people who come in to me to, to seek counsel and help, to be honest with you, have gut issues. That's usually the root cause of a lot of the other seemingly un, uh, con, you know, not connected parts or symptoms. Um, it usually all comes back to the gut, what they're eating, their diet, how well their gut is functioning. So for me personally, as a physician, I definitely do all the baseline tests you get at your PCP, um, but I add stool analysis, micronutrient tests, food sensitivity tests. So those are three specialized tests that most conventional MDs don't utilize, but for me are very, very, very telling and significantly helpful when understanding how, Dan, what, what makes you different than the people watching and listening that makes you different from your husband or your kids? Because the way you eat for your body or need to eat for your body might not be the same, even though you're all in the same household. So I need to understand your biological diversity and honor that and work to create a care plan that matches and aligns with that, right? Not a one size fits all kind of vibe. And the only way I'm going to know how to do that is with valuable information. And the stool analysis is huge in that regard, for sure. I agree with you. Everybody should get one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I get one every couple of years. Yeah. Yes. It should be more accessible for sure. I think that's, yeah. When I agree. They throw but then again, if you think about, okay, well, skip the processed food you're eating, eat at home, save that money, put it towards the test, and you'll get your 300 bucks mm -hmm. fast. A lot of people don't think Real about fast. that. Real so. fast. 
Yeah, real fast. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, if everyone's enjoying. Yes. yes. I was going to say, get Starbucks for a month. (laughs) Oh, I know. Oh, Starbucks adds up. My gosh. Um, Yeah. And if you order any food there, you're like $12. I'm like, wait, what just happened? Easy. For like a. Yes convenience factor and and you know this is like total sidebar but we have you know a distribution company that does kombucha and cold brew so we have unlimited coffee for our employees and we have employees that still get starbucks every day and i'm like dude free cold brew <laughs> and it's like high quality coffee Talk about like, that. Like, and then yeah. there's nothing See, that, no, no, I agree with you, but that to me, that to me is an emotional kind of, it's my tradition habit, not like a practical functional yeah. serving me habit. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. it's, that's so functional. And then I think some of the employees like the really like sugary lattes. So I think there's that yeah. part of it too, yeah. where it's, well, if Starbucks makes it, it's not bad. It's like, well, it still has like 60 grams of sugar, but you know, <laughs> which is two days worth, well, two days worth in one drink. I know to sell. And I up that number, it might not be 60, but you know, if you're getting like the tall size, you're, you're getting a lot of sugar in some of those drinks for yeah. sure, for sure. And you're doing it daily. So that's, yeah, that's a whole nother sidebar. <laughs> Clearly we're not sponsored by Starbucks here, um, but there's nothing wrong with <laughs> I do enjoy them too. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're enjoying our sponsored series, um, we are only sponsored by our amazing supplement. Go ahead and hit the button. We would love that. And then you can also follow at Middle World Earth, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We have a ton of helpful information over there and just really good conversations that happen as well. And if you're wondering, there's this cute little charm on all the bottles. This is called a whisper. And these come with everything you purchase. It is a word of affirmation or a mantra. And each one's different. So this one on my digestive enzymes bottle says everything we eat, or drink either feeds face either feeds disease or fights it so each one you're going to get a different one and you can collect these they're also just like really cool while you're taking your supplements to just read something positive about it so basically it's intersection of emotional healing and physical healing and we have that on every bottle and i think that that's especially true in our diet obsessed culture too but we don't always talk about like our relationship to our body has to do a lot of times with feelings of like anger or denial or just like something else that's going on. So Dr. Jackie, I know you talked about it earlier, but can you elaborate a little bit more on just like the emotional side of diet culture and, and what, why we do what we do? Yeah, of course. Um, I think by nature, our limbic brain, our, our monkey brain, if you will, uh, if you think about your brain, just real, real quick, neuro- neurologically, think of this as your limbic brain, your monkey brain. So um, pleasure, procreation, food, like you basically eat, sleep, procreate, right? And all of your intense core emotions happen in your limbic system. And what we did is we evolved as people to have a frontal cortex. And this is our whole brain, let's say. And now we have this frontal cortex where in the center is that limbic system and that frontal cortex is our personality that wants to override like, oh, I want to have sex with that thing. And it's like, your frontal cortex is like, nope, this is professional setting, do not do that. Or, oh my God, I want to like drink till I vomit. It's like your frontal cortex is the thing that uses executive functioning to kind of create limits and barriers and not say what we always think and do what we always feel, right? 
And so um, we're, we're hardwired in our limbic system, right? As pack animals, we are at our root part of a community. It is hardwired in our bodies. When we were hunter gatherers and we had communities taking care of our children and each other's children, for example, it is in our DNA to be pack animals. And what happens when you're a pack animal? You wanna be accepted by the pack. Well, in our culture, how do you get accepted? You have to be hot or you have to be rich or you have to be powerful. In a lot of cases, not all cases, but by and large, the broad stroke message of American and other industrialized countries is are those three things. Um, we highly value them. So if we want to be accepted by our pack, we want to be a part of the group, uh, we don't want to be an outlier or ostracized, then I have to be one or all of those things. And when it comes to women, a lot of times um, the impetus or the weight is focused on how we look. Literally, the weight of the issue is about our weight, right? So that mental implication or psychological degradation that's happening when we adhere our value of, I'm only going to fit in with my pack and be accepted by my community if I look, act, or am a certain way is very psychologically damaging and can cause a lot of long-term problems. Um, also, so when we feel feelings of like denial, anger, um, and, and those limbic reactions are triggering our behaviors, well, what do we do? We self-soothe reactionarily. Well, what does that mean? Story time. Eight-year-old Jackie knocking on people's doors, selling Girl Scout cookies. And back in the day, it was a pre-order. We didn't have boxes and just hand them and get the cash. It was right on your little sheet, how many boxes of each thing you want. And in two weeks, you'll get your delivery. And this was when knocking on doors around your neighborhood was normal. So do all, sell all the cookies. Two weeks later, the whole shipment comes in and something really terrible happened at home. I won't get into details, but it was a very fight or flight response, trauma stuff going on. And what did I do? I didn't think about it. I didn't have any critical thinking or frontal cortex executive functioning. Limbically, I felt fear. Limbically, I felt at risk. So what did I do to self-soothe? Girl, I ate four boxes of Girl Scout cookies that were not mine. Eight years old. That is when the food addiction started. We self-soothe through food. Food releases dopamine. Food releases comfort. Food releases serotonin. Food can sometimes, when you eat till it hurts, help you feel a physical experience that you emotionally want to deny. I'd rather have a tummy ache than a heartbreak, right? So, I mean, a lot of people at least feel that way. So when we talk about emotions triggering behaviors associated to food, it is hardwired. Our limbic system, ouchie, make it better. But our free, the cool thing about our evolution though is that we can override that reaction with our frontal cortex and we can develop what are called coping skills. So little Jackie wants to overeat. <laughs> Every time I get stressed, I'm like, oh, what could I have? But I breathe. Sit with the feeling, physical sensation that will pass. No feeling, good, bad, or indifferent, lasts usually longer than a few moments. Um, and it's not the thought, I'm a piece of crap, I'm worthless. That's feeding the feeling. The feeling is physical. The feeling is adrenaline, cortisol, and all that stuff happening in the body. So feel the heart racing, feel the nausea, feel the shaky, 
you know, really allow yourself to be fully taken over by your physical sensations and it will leave very, very quickly. And then we, we gamify ourselves with our coping skills, at least I do and say, after I'm done experiencing my feeling, I'm going to have a fruit salad, a smoothie, go for a walk, call someone I love, um, draw, make art, dance, put on my favorite song for five minutes, do something that's going to like help helpfully and happily anchor that new coping skill that's going to reward the discomfort behavior. You did something really hard. You did something really uncomfortable. You deserve to self-soothe after you've connected to that. And when we're not paying attention, we self-soothe usually with food or addictive behaviors. But when we're mindful, we pay attention and we give ourselves love, we experience the feeling and then treat ourselves to something that's going to fulfill and uplift our health, right? Not degrade and get us further away from our health. So the mind-body paradigm is very, very important in our relationship to food and weight and binge eating or restricting. Um, also restricting is another way to control limbic. So I grew out of the binge eating and eventually in high school and college was like, I feel trauma, I feel stress, I feel trapped. I can control the situation by not eating. I'm in control now. All the things around me happening are out of control, but now I have control. The one thing I can control is what goes in my body and I'm gonna say no and not eat for four days, right? Look at me, I feel empowered, I feel strong, I feel in control now of this thing. So, I mean, whether it's binge eating or restricting or a mixture of the two, it's a very, very, very limbic reaction, knee-jerk reaction to being afraid, feeling anger or intense emotion. But if we allow the emotion and we use our frontal cortex to override and create help, healthy coping skills, we can totally uh, win out of that negative feedback loop for sure. Yeah, oh, that's such good information. I feel like even as you're talking, I'm like, okay, yep, I know exactly what my emotional eating food is. And, you know, if it's in my house, I'll eat it. But that's why I don't keep it in my house because yeah. I'll sit there and eat just, it. Yeah, I just don't buy. Exactly. I just don't buy it. I don't put myself, you know, when you're, yeah, exactly changing your people, places, and your things. What's in your environment? Who do you hang out with? Like, are they a risk factor for you? Like, even if it's just momentarily, like, hey, I just need to take a couple months off to like get grounded and refocus, develop some coping skills. And then I can like dip my toe back in the water and be around cookies and be around people who binge eat and drink and whatever the issue is that I'm struggling with, right? But there's nothing wrong with putting ourselves first and taking a step back so that we can propel ourselves forward, right? And I agree with you, just don't create a tempting environment you know, and that, that's key. Yeah. That's a big part of it as well. Factor. Yeah. Yeah. I would say ice cream's mine. I, little cookies too. Anything sweet. But if I buy yeah. a pint, I'm going to eat a pint. But if I really want ice cream, I, it's okay. Then I'll go and get in my car and go drive and get a scoop of ice cream. And I'll get a Sunday because I'll go all out. But am I going to make that effort every single time I have a cream? No, I'm not going to do it. So it's kind of like, that extra effort means you really, really want it versus like, oh, it's in my freezer. Yeah. I can just like. So you're less, yes, exactly. So you're less When things are yeah. less convenient or harder, we're less likely to do them, right? Just like don't have the trigger foods in the house, but chalk the house full of great foods. Like for me, I love ice cream too. So I make what's called nice cream. And I don't know it's how banana. he does it, but my partner makes this banana peanut butter protein powder with like vegan chocolate chip thing that I don't even know how it is as good as it is, but it's amazing. 
and every time I'm craving ice cream or like a sweet after dinner treat, it feels like I'm getting away with something because it shouldn't be as healthy as it is, but there's no added sugar, lots of minerals, some fiber in there, um, clearly protein because we're adding the protein powder, healthy fats from the natural nut butter. So, you know, it feels risque when it's not. So that's another thing is healthy substitutions. So either don't buy it and keep it in the house like you do, make it harder for yourself to get to that end goal, um, or just have healthy substitutions or maybe the combo of the two. And I feel like those are both really great ways that we can um, keep ourselves in check, you know, and really hold ourselves accountable. Totally. Ooh, nice cream is good. He should open a store <laughs> in his spare time. Um, but yeah, no, that's so good. Or you guys can have a cooking show together. There you go. You could team up or come up with business. <laughs> All right, well, let's do another supplement because we only have, oh, we have very little time. Well, we'll briefly talk about our last supplement and then we're, we'll do part two of this show um, next time. So the other one I have is our digestive enzymes and these have bromelain and aspergillopepsin. And these have been formulated to cover just a broad spectrum of digestive support. There are 18 enzymes on this bottle. That's more than you're gonna find in most digestive enzyme supplements on the market. So since we're running out of time, Dr. Jackie, what's like something you can leave people with of why they might want to take a digestive enzyme? And I just want to say, I'm sorry. I thought we were doing two hours today again. So I'm like, oh, we have one oh, minute of time. I didn't oh. know we were doing 90 minutes. So that's my fault. Um, yet again, I, we need to, I need to get on the same page and start asking these questions. <clears throat> so anyhow, I'm sorry about that. Digestive enzymes. Um, so really quick, just because I really do believe in digestive enzymes as a supplement and just, I, I think that it's very important for gut health. Guys, enzymes, think of them as the cleavers to digestion. They help break food apart. And the, the better we are at breaking the food apart in the stomach and small intestines, the easier it is to go into the bloodstream, right? To be saturated, to absorb. Um, and so enzymes are really important. If after you eat, you get indigestion, gas, bloating, um, pain, distension, meaning your belly sticks out. These are all signs you could lack digestive enzymes. And you need anything that ends in ACE is an enzyme. So a lipase breaks down lipids or fat. Protease breaks down protein. Um, and so we need all of these different enzymes in order to cleave all of these foods. So if you have digestive issues after you eat anything of the, the things that I listed, you could have issues with digestive enzymes. Um, the best way that I know how is trial and error. If you take one before a meal and you don't notice a change, take two 20 minutes before the meal, you should notice a bigger improvement. Um, but there is kind of the therapeutic window where if you're not taking enough, you won't notice the benefits. But if you take too much, too many enzymes with not enough food, um, can, the enzymes will start breaking down your GI tract, right? Or cause irritation. So you really wanna stick with that therapeutic dosing or that middle, that window, which is gonna be different for everyone. Maybe it's one for one person and it's three for another person. Um, the older we get, the less enzymes and acid we make. So if you're above 50, you might need more than somebody in their 20s or 30s who lacks enzymes. So please, digestive enzymes are one of the most common things outside of probiotics that I help with patients and clients um, to get their gut functioning again. Now, once we work on the food and diet part, enzymes aren't a life sentence. Probiotics to me are because we just don't get enough from our diet. I'm always taking them and recommending them. 
But digestive enzymes are kind of like training wheels to our body where we're going to use them long enough to where when we make the, the healthy changes in diet, food, food what we're eating, uh, what we're drinking, our stress level and all that, our body will naturally start making the appropriate levels of enzymes. So it's not a life sentence, but it is super important. If you have any of those symptoms that I listed, talk to your doctor, look online, do what you need to do to figure out if digestive enzymes are for you because they, to me, are so, so important. Yes, absolutely. No, they're so good. So um, today, just so you guys know, you're going to get 60 in your bottle here. There are veggie capsules. The suggested dose on this is just one taken 20 minutes before the meal, like Dr. is recommending. And um, you can do up, it says just don't exceed a total of six, six capsules a day. So you can do these for multiple meals. And like she said, it's kind of like the training wheels. And then eventually you don't have to use these, but really good, especially if you're going to have like a really big meal where you know it might affect you. This could be a good one. There's mm -hmm. $17.49 right now on Amazon, but you get 20% off during our live. And we're about to end our live. So make sure you click and add this to your cart that you can take advantage of that 20% off. You might want to bundle it with the probiotics. I think that would be like really smart to have that. And just as we've talked about like the no diet day, which is tomorrow, just good ideas to get you kind of back on track with everything. And um, yeah. hopefully you guys for the follow for everyone who followed us during this show. Thank you guys. And make sure you do hit the follow button. We are going to be back next week as well. We'll be here on Friday and I think we're going to do part two to this. So you'll get to hear a little more about the liver detox as well. I mean, we, Dr. Jackie, I could talk with you about diet culture like all day long and we didn't even talk about I how know. many I've been on. <laughs> and then we had gotten, um, Man, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, the 1970s diets and i was like whoa hello i would try all those <laughs> i know uh, i know the things yeah, we are willing to put our bodies through just to look a certain way and to be perceived as loved we are lovable regardless of what we put in our mouths people just us showing up we won the lottery so please remember that you yeah. are valuable it means something and you are not your size or your shape. You are so much more. You are infinite and constantly expanding. And I hope you honor that. And one last little doctor note, don't take the probiotics with the enzymes because the enzymes will break up and cleave the probiotics a couple hours apart. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> yes. They're in order. Should you always do like probiotics a couple hours before, or does it matter if it's after, as long as it's just spaced out? So uh, to, your, to what you were speaking to, um, you're absolutely right. Probiotics tend to die about 20 to 50% in the digestive tract because they're a live microbe. So acid conditions, enzyme conditions, they can tend to die in that environment. So, but um, to help buffer and protect those probiotics, eating a little bit of food or a small snack or meal with a probiotic, the enzymes and the acid will focus on the food and then the probiotics can kind of do its thing and get through relatively unharmed. So digestive enzymes are more for meals. So take your enzymes with a meal, um, but take probiotics with a small snack. So what I recommend is the enzymes throughout the day with food and then a couple hours, usually after dinner, but before bed, if you can, I take a probiotic with a small snack. Um, whether that's a, a couple berries, um, you know, that's usually what it is to be honest with you is a little fruit salad or some berries. It's like my dessert at the end of the night. 
And the reason I take it at night is because it works its magic while I sleep. And then I wake up and have like chef's kiss bowel movement. So that, that's just what works for me. Um, but if you like taking it in the morning with your protein shake or something, just make sure you're eating food where you don't need the enzyme, just a small little mm. to buffer, and then you'll be good to go. So that's how I would recommend it personally. Awesome. Okay. That's so cool. Anything else um, as we wrap up, you know, we have probably just a couple minutes. So if there's anything else you want to leave people with, I think what you said was just so important to love yourself at any, any size. And yeah, just diet cultures. It's something like you don't even realize it's been ingrained in you until you actually take a second and think about it. And you're like, Hey, that impacted me and all the messages that have been. Yeah, it's, true. it's so true. And you know, I'm just taken back to, and I know you said we had like two minutes for wrapping up, but just so I can relate to everyone and make everyone understand, like, I really do understand. I went through a really terrible breakup a few years ago and I dropped 25, 30 pounds on my frame, um, really quickly. And when I went home for Christmas, what I got was you look great. You're so skinny. How'd you get so skinny? Instead of I've never seen you this thin. Are you okay? So please yeah. compliment people on something that's non-physical. If somebody drastically loses or gains weight, ask them how they're doing, you know, go that, that layer deeper. We are not our shells. Everyone, our shells often advertise what's going on inside though. So if something is amiss outside, it doesn't hinder your value. It just means maybe you're hurting inside. And so if you are a loved one, you've made a lot of physical changes, or you've seen someone you care about go through a lot of physical changes drastically or short term, please inquire, stop and ask and think and care and be compassionate, you know, and also in that, in that same vein, talk to yourself the way you talk to your best friend or your child. You probably wouldn't tell them they're a fat piece of shit. So don't say that to yourself. Okay. <laughs> I think that's the best rule that's helped save me, you know, is be your own friend, people, be your own friend. Be your own press. No, Okay. All right. Well, let's pick up part two next week. I would love to do that. And um, happy no diet day to everyone tomorrow. I had not heard about that, but apparently it's big on social media. So you know what? It's got a good Treat message. We'll, we'll take it. Yeah. Treat yourself. Absolutely. More than the food you put in your body. You're amazing, powerful, universal lottery winners. So celebrate it however you see fit. You are constantly expanding. I send love and light all around to any and all wounds. I send hugs and compassion, and hopefully I get to see everyone the same or different day and time <laughs> for part two next week. So thank you so much, Dan. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And then Friday yeah. at four, right? I think we are doing three, but we'll, we'll double check. We'll keep it on our social media. Everyone check there for yeah. three. So everybody be sure to check <laughs> Yes. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Have a fabulous rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Hear the whispers from within. Battles to restore. Ailings to relieve. Feel the nature keeping us. Nature healing us. Flowers, leaves, and rose within. Hear the mind calming you, soothing you. Love and kindness inside out. Let the herbs from middle world heal. Welcome wellness. Welcome wellness. It's revealed herbs. Middle world herbs.